This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello, welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Kat Chow, a reporter and the author of the memoir Seeing Ghosts, forthcoming from Grand Central Publishing on August 24th, 2021. And now here's some more of our conversation. I don't know that I have any final neat thoughts to wrap that up. So I will simply take us into our uh, last letter. And if you are amenable, I would love to ask you to read it. Absolutely. So the subject is laid up, feeling down. I've spent the last six months living with my parents and little brother, age 21, His lifelong behavior issues relating to rage, obstinance, and rudeness have frequently put us at odds. Recently, I was struck by a car while walking in a crosswalk. I had the right of way, but I was inattentive enough not to see the car approaching because I was rehearsing, as I often do, more productive responses to his casual cruelty. I knew my brother didn't cause the accident, but when I was discharged with four fractures just to get the usual treatment from him, I blew up and said some very hurtful things. He moved out that afternoon. My parents and I are worried sick. My brother made a suicidal gesture in his teenage years, and his support system is now smaller than it's ever been. How can I support my brother if he's cut off all contact? How can I live with myself if he takes his own life? I've offered an apology to no response and even offered financial support if his situation gets dire, but I'm plagued by regret and I can't stop imagining the worst. Hmm. Yeah. This uh, this one was very much on my mind because I want to be able to provide this letter writer with some degree of buoyancy and resilience. And I realize that's not necessarily what the letter writer is asking for or even thinks they need right now. Right. Um, I, I don't know how you read this letter. I want to leave room for the possibility that what the letter writer meant by hurtful things included genuinely like fucked up things to say to somebody else. Um, I realize that that's possible. My guess based on the rest of this letter that it was something more like I said things that weren't about placating him. I said some true things that he didn't like hearing. Um, But it's always possible that, you know, you can be uh, victimized or hurt by somebody and then also do something that you should not have done. Like it's possible for those two things to be true at the same time. So even taking into account the possibility that you said something really fucked up um, that you really did need to apologize for, I feel so strongly, letter writer, that um, whether other people have said this to you or you have simply picked this up and and sort of absorbed this idea that it is on you to make sure that your brother has a support system um, is is just one that I want to I want to encourage you to put down those rocks that you're holding. I, I see where that is tending in this letter, which is you know the implied question is how can I live myself? The the actual question, how can I live with myself if he takes his own life is some sense of because I will have been at least partly responsible because I said something that hurt his feelings. And that is such a, an outsized way of thinking about one's responsibility for somebody else's suicidality that I fear you don't have the perspective that you need here, which is to say that is not why a person takes their own life. I I fear that either indirectly or directly, your family has made it really clear. Everyone needs to let him be cruel whenever he wants to and be 
incredibly, incredibly apologetic um, and tiptoe around him because if you don't, he might not want to live and that would be on you. And that is not an inherently true thing about depression or suicidality. That is not a healthy or appropriate response to cruelty. That is your family's sick way of dealing with his cruelty. And I don't say that to mean your whole family must be irreparably bad, awful, sick, cruel, damaged, and you have to get rid of all of them. Simply that this approach, this mentality is not a healthy one. It's not a sane one. It's not true. Right. And I I mean, I want to completely emphasize that this sounds like a very painful situation. Um, and I empathize so, so deeply with this. I mean, you know, letter writer, you clearly have thought about your brother for many, many years. And the fact that you have to rehearse productive responses, um, this sounds like it's a very, you know, standard thing in your relationship, or at least it used to be when you were in contact, to the point of you were so distracted that you you were injured and, you know, severely injured. I think that is a huge a huge red flag. And I I urge you to try and take care of yourself in this situation too, and to make sure that you have your own support networks because this step away from your brother, as much as it might hurt you, it actually sounds like it could be better for you, you know, to mm-hmm. not have somebody who is so casually cruel in your life that, you know, you're clearly having to think a lot about. And this doesn't mean that it's going to be easier for you, you know, if you do continue to, if this relationship continues to kind of move forward with distance between you. But I think that, you know, the feelings of guilt are things that should be worked through. Because again, as Danny was saying, not your responsibility as much as you have this deep, deep well of love for your brother. It's just, there are only so many things that you can do. And and Letter Writer, you mentioned You've apologized to no response. I don't know quite what you were apologizing for or, you know, if this was because you truly needed to in your eyes or if because this was just another way to sort of placate your brother and try to get him back into your relationship. You even offered financial support if his situation gets dire. Um, The phrasing, if his situation gets dire, makes me think that currently it is not. So I think that it is okay to kind of take what you need for yourself and and to to move forward and sort of let the cards fall while also really just making sure you are surrounded by people who treat you with respect and can kind of help you through these ideas and 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 really kind of being there for yourself. Yeah, and and by the way letter writer, I say all this not to imply like either your brother is, you know, quote unquote legitimately intermittently suicidal, or he is cruel. It's absolutely possible that he is cruel, angry, constantly gives vent to his spleen and does not treat other people around him well, and is also genuinely struggling with suicidal ideation and or depression. Both of those things might be true. I, I, I really don't know. So to me, the question is not whether or not he is experiencing something that he might need real support in. Uh, the question is, has your family's strategy of walking on eggshells around him, letting it go when he says horrible, cruel things or screams at you, um, are those healthy, adequate treatments for depression and suicidal ideation? Is that an actual support system? And the answer is no. If you go to any therapist in the world and you say, I'm experiencing depression and suicidal ideation, so I scream at my parents and siblings and call them horrible names and they let me do it, and this is what is helping me to stay well. No therapist is going to say, that sounds great. 
what a good strategy. You have my complete, you know, support. So I don't say that to make light of it. I just really want you to be able to affirm, letter writer, what you have described is not, in fact, supporting your brother. It is ignoring the rest of your needs, and it is allowing him to behave very, very badly indeed, and it is not support. I agree with that. And yeah, also, I mean, letter writer, it sounds as if, you know, you you haven't really mentioned how your parents or other family members react to your brother or, you know, are handling this relationship. And I think that one approach that you could take is to have as direct of a conversation with, say, your parents or some other family member who is not your brother about the ways that you can really look out for yourself and sort of what Danny was outlining, just the best, truly the best most healthy ways to, if this is what you choose to do, support your brother or in what ways you are able to do or or not able to. And I think, you know, being very direct with your parents about this will also help you just so that you don't feel sort of tied back into this, you know, because it sounds as if, you know, your parents might also be feeling these feelings of guilt and perhaps exacerbating them in you. I don't, I don't know. It's not mentioned in the letter. Yeah. So, you know, Again, leaving room for the possibility that you said something genuinely like unnecessary or unhelpful or unkind or untrue. You have tried to apologize and your brother has not responded. So that answers the question of what do I do next on that front? You don't force an apology on someone who doesn't want to hear from you, even if you want to give it more than anything else in the world. So you don't try again. Um, How can I support my brother if he's cut off all contact? Um, Again, I don't know that you were supporting him before. I think you were allowing yourself to be hurt. And um, I think you were placating him. I'm not so sure that you were actually supporting him before. And I don't say that to make you feel bad about what's been happening previously, letter writer, so much as freeing you from this belief that what you were doing before was support. So now it's your job to go back to doing it. And that the problem was that one day you got angry enough because you'd gotten hit by a car that you finally let yourself say to your brother something that I'm guessing was a little bit closer to, you're a very cruel person, you treat me badly and I don't like you. Um, is my guess is like it was some version of that. And that to me, I think is actually a pretty fair and appropriate thing to have said. And if he moved out over it, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, I get that your parents are worried sick and partly because it seems that they feel like they need to keep him very close to home. And so they may very well have their own dysfunction that they are working through here. And you may decide that's actually not how I want to relate to rage-filled people in the future. I love my parents, but I can see that they are you know, flawed and limited human beings. And this is not something where I want to uh, follow in their footsteps. How can I live with myself if he takes his own life? Boy, I mean, I, I have been in this exact situation. I, I have been told word for word, um, if you go and do the right thing, your brother might not want to live and that will be on your head. Um, and so I, I really get what it's like to be in this position, letter writer. And the answer is simply, you may very well experience tremendous pain, loss, and grief, as well as guilt, resentment, um, and any number of other feelings, some of which may stay for a long time, some of which may change. But you will live with yourself because it is not fundamentally up to you whether or not your brother chooses to live or to die. From what you've described, it doesn't sound like he is close to this level of self-harm, it's more like this is bringing up an old fear that like, it's my job to make sure he wants to live. It's not. It's your job to speak with like a bare minimum of respect, but that's it. It's not your job to make sure somebody else wants to live. Um, So you will live with yourself by living with yourself and accepting, which I think maybe your family has not encouraged you to do, that his desire to live cannot hinge upon 
how nice is everyone being to me today? How much are they placating my cruelty today? That is, in fact, an abusive tactic. And you will live with yourself because that one's not on you. And that was, you know, an incredibly painful thing for me to hear. And one of the things that it just gave me a lot of clarity on was like, no, that's not on my head. Um, And in fact, it is horrific that you would say that. Um, That is a deeply wrong thing to say. And it is, in fact, an indicator of your own sickness. So I didn't say any of that lightly. It didn't feel easy, but it just also felt pretty straightforwardly true. So beyond that, you know, you can't stop imagining the worst. I I think that's because you've sort of been raised maybe to think that it is your job to keep your brother happy. And if you aren't working at that job 24-7, he's going to starve in the street. He sounds, I think, actually maybe a little bit better at getting other people to do what he wants than you want to give him credit for. Uh, I actually, I would not be surprised if he was doing a little better than you feared. Um, So maybe the question here is simply, who can I seek for advice on how to deal with somebody who I know to be cruel and manipulative and to try to extract a lot of things from me without turning to my parents for advice since I don't want to follow in their footsteps? Um, And how do I do all of that while also living with my parents who may not make the same choices that I do? Um, One of the answers to that question, I think, will eventually be finding another place to live for yourself so you can work through all this at a distance. But you're not going to get through this by fixing your brother's life for him. You've got to let him do whatever it is he's going to do. Well said. Sorry, I realized that got long at the end there, but um, it's really hard when somebody has just taken on way more responsibility than they can possibly carry. It's so hard. And it also feels as though this was really put on the letter writer and it just makes me feel so much for them. You know, it's just, it's really hard to extract yourself from that type of caregiving when perhaps it's become a part of your identity and how you relate to the world or how you relate to your family. And so to kind of have to redefine yourself can be really painful. Yeah. And of course it is an indicator of, you know, compassion and empathy and goodness. If generally, if you're worried somebody might be in a position to hurt themselves and you want to help, I don't by any means want to suggest like anybody who has made like a recent suicidal gesture or who has expressed that they are thinking about hurting themselves is somebody that you should just, you know, well, everyone's on their own and like, that's only your responsibility. Um, So I, I also really understand, you know, where this worry comes from. And some of that is just an indicator that you care about other people. But, but there is, I think, a difference between offering somebody support who has asked for it and who needs it and who is not also harming you versus pretending that um, that harm is somehow therapeutic. Harm is not therapeutic, um, is I think where I was trying to get with all of that. You know, and that was the same thing that my family wanted to uh, persuade me of, which was that endangering children is in fact therapeutic for your brother. And therefore, it's worth our keeping a variety of secrets to make sure that he can design his own treatment plan. And, you know, it's just straightforwardly true that harm is not, you know, exposing people to risk and unnecessary danger um, is not a therapeutic tool. And so if anyone tries to suggest that it is, it's usually great to ask a therapist like, hey, is this true? Um, Yeah, like, give me a gut check on this. (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's always great to get an outside perspective when you find yourself saying aloud something that you believe to be true within your family context, but you've never said outside of the family context. And you suddenly think like, huh, I wonder what somebody who didn't share our last name might think of this if I just like tried to grab an average reasonable person and say, what do you think about this idea? And um, the family often wants to resist that. And that's me repeating myself because I'm always saying that on this show. So I will take us away from this final question and I will simply uh, try to steer us towards a sense of an ending.
I will be taking on today's lightning round question all by my lonesome. Here we go. No preamble. The subject is tea date. I'm a 24-year-old trans man, and I'm currently sitting on a wall outside my flat, waiting for the post to arrive with my first dose of testosterone. Today is also my mother's birthday. Besides her being a fairly recently reformed turf, I just don't want to share an important anniversary like starting tea with anyone else. A handful of close friends also have birthdays that week, so I've already made the choice to delay my start date. Would it be silly of me to deny myself the testosterone I finally have access to in order to make my start date Father's Day? 2008 is a nice, round, memorable anniversary. I usually get myself a Father's Day gift because I don't really have a relationship with my father. He's a fine man. I have nothing against him. He's just not in my life. And most importantly, I think it's really funny. Father's Day obviously doesn't always fall on the 20th, so that won't always line up, but I think it's fun as a first anniversary. Does that make sense to put off something I've been desperately trying to access for over two years, an extra two weeks for a bit? Are transversaries actually that important years later? One minute. Boy, uh, you should do whatever you want to. I don't remember the date that I started testosterone. At the time, it was incredibly important to me, but I'm also not great with dates. So I remember it was generally sometime in October. I couldn't swear to you if it was 2016 or 2017. That said, birthdays are completely arbitrary as are anniversaries. And the question is simply, does it serve you well? So if you think that you would enjoy it, by the way, I say all this knowing uh, Father's Day has already passed. This is a really moot question. You've already made a decision one way or the other. So this is hopefully just going to be more broadly helpful for anyone who is thinking about uh, weighing their start date for HRT with something personally meaningful. Um, but yeah, if you think that you will enjoy waiting two more weeks uh, so that you can say that that's the date, go for it. Uh, you can always lie. You can always start it now and then pick a random date and say you started it then. No one's going to like, you know, check the math on it um, and never tell your mom anything that you don't want to. That's it. That's one minute. I'm done. Thanks very much for listening. This was Big Mood, Little Mood, and I still am Daniel M. Lavery. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up, to subscribe, or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>